We are going to be continuing in our Mark series. Trav opened us up last week, and it was actually such an exciting kind of opening to this story. He talked about just the, the, the trailer teaser uh, that's going on here uh, at the front end, and I'm going to continue with that a little bit more. But we left that passage that he preached at the very end where Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And this is what launches the ministry of Jesus. After he, by the way, fasted, if we are followers of him, we will do what he does and do what he did. And so he goes out of that fast and he comes in and he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does that mean? And what does he do? What he does now is an incredibly important thing to understand about who he is, right? Because it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You always, you know, if you see like a CEO take over a company, usually it's pretty cataclysmic. You know, it's just like fire a bunch of people, change this, do that. Uh, and, and, and even in the Bible, you see that when, when guys wanted to come in and take over as king, a whole bunch of stuff would happen, right? What would they do? What would, what would kings do or prospective kings do? We, see, we saw this like with Absalom and David. He would, he would go and find the most resourceful, strongest warriors, right? This is, this is what a king does when he wants to take control. He finds the most resourceful people. He finds the powerful, you know, the, the political elite, the influential, and starts to curry favor, raises money, gathers weapons, like whatever it is, that you can think of, oftentimes what will happen too, if a king takes power, um, they'll like wipe out the whole family of the previous rule, right? They, they will literally assassinate the king and his whole family so that there's nobody left that has any kind of loyalty to the previous king. And so you're thinking, okay, what's he gonna do? How's he gonna approach this? And once again, it is very unexpected, It's not what you might imagine from an earthly, worldly king to do. And this is super important for us to understand because not only did they not expect this, we don't expect what Jesus wants to do. We think we know who he is. We think we know what he wants to do. We think we know his next move. But actually, the good news is we don't. So we have to pay very close attention, very careful attention to what he is doing. So I want to start in Mark 1, verse 16, picking up from last week. It says in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. It's a funny picture. It's like, where did they, where did the, did you, do you see James and John? Immediately, immediately. I love that, how Mark uses that word. Now, what's interesting to me is like, the first time I ever read this long ago, I thought, what, what? How did the stranger just wander by and be like, hey, come follow me? And they're like, okay, we'll drop everything. Well, scholars speculate that they knew Jesus before this moment. It wasn't the first time they had ever seen him. Um, and, and it's interesting to consider uh, that because otherwise it just seems quite out there. Did you just have like, you know, Cheshire cat eyes be like, follow me? And they're like, okay. <laughs> 
something had started to take hold in them that was actually sort of moving them. And it seems that what's interesting, if, if they knew him, they, they, they had heard him speak, and there was something happening in their hearts and minds that was resonating with, with the message that he was speaking. We'll just see in a few verses that when Jesus spoke, it was unlike anybody that they had heard before. He speaks with such authority. So clearly, he's doing this. And it's hard to imagine that they left their work and, and that James and John left their father I mean, in the ancient world, this was huge because family represented security and stability and community, especially the leader, the great patriarch of the family. But in light of the message that Jesus was bringing, everything else just paled in comparison. They were absolutely fixed on the message that he had. They were fixed on the person that he was. There was something drawing them that transcended now all of the other priorities they might have in their life, all of the other things that they might consider important, their livelihood, their family, their father, for heaven's sakes. They immediately, immediately left their nets. Now, Mark seems to kind of like that word, immediately, but but it really does justice to just the sharp, crisp nature of the ministry of Jesus, and and it warrants these sudden developments and I wonder too, like they're sitting there mending their nets. I wonder as they had, had been getting to know him or just heard a little bit, if they had already started to talk about him. What were they saying? How about this guy? What's he talking about? My guess is that he was like nobody they'd ever met. He had a handle on something. He offered something nobody and nothing else was offering. So again, their jobs, their family, everything about their current lives was no contest compared to what Jesus was offering. They were, in a word, captivated by him. So whatever ambitions or priorities were at the top had actually now been replaced by this unexpected possibility. They did not expect this to happen, him to break in. Commentator Daniel Aiken says this, the king has come and he calls all of us to repent and believe the gospel, to walk away from the idols of our life, our former allegiances, and to come follow him. Leave your nets, leave your occupation, leave your friends, leave even your family, and come follow him. The demands are great, but then Jesus is a great king, and the blessings of knowing him are far greater. Now, I know that follow is a very simple word. And yet sometimes we can get a little bit confused as to what this means. But I just want to sort of nail it here. Jesus calls us like he called them to follow. So the first thing we do see as Jesus inaugurates this kingdom and it starts to advance is he does recruit a group. But it's not the political elite. It's not the influential. It's not the wealthy. It's not the strong. It's not like a great fighting warrior army, right? It's just these fishermen, I mean, you have to be either stupid or super confident in some other great power to recruit this sad little band of guys, right? But he's like, no, no, they will do. They will do. And this is how he went about. But he called them to follow. He recruits a group, but not the band who you might think. Not particularly gifted, not particularly trained, not distinguished in any real way. This is, again, unexpected. Man, how is he going to approach this? 
if you want to establish a kingdom, this is not the way to go about it. And what I love is he says, follow me. He doesn't say, do what I say. We have to hear that. Follow me. He does later say that. Teach them to obey my commands. But this was his initial call. Just follow me. Relationship over duty. Right? Come with me. You can come to me. Let's have a relationship and I want you to follow me. And it appears to me that actually many of us have heard that call and some of us have responded, others of us, we're all in different places in terms of following Jesus here in this place right now. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've been getting to know Jesus just a little bit, it, it, but, but actually now it's time, just like them, they had heard a little bit, they knew a little bit, they had some sense and some knowledge, but now it's actually time to, to let your nets down, to let them go, to leave them, to leave the things that you hold dear because actually what he offers is more fulfilling and more satisfying than anything you could possibly have anywhere else. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been kind of toying with this. It's wonderful. We invite you to do that. We invite you to explore and to, to push in and understand who is this person of Jesus. But then at some point, at some point, it's going to be leave your nets. Leave whatever is dearest to you because what he is offering is far better. The things we cling to for meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment will never have the kind of meaning, satisfaction, and fulfillment that Jesus offers. They somehow knew that. Perhaps he's calling you into the life he created for you and you realize that the things you've been seeking don't offer the happiness or the fulfillment that they promise. Don't delay. Do it immediately. Do it immediately. They were like, we gotta, let's do this now. Whatever idols or former allegiances have held you back, leave your nets, your occupation, your friends, your family, and follow him. What I find so interesting about this passage is I find actually that jobs and family are some of the excuses we used first when it comes to following Jesus. Honestly. Now, I know I'm sure this passage has been used to shirk responsibility in family, right? Or to say, I'm going to leave my job. I don't need to earn a living. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is those things you cling to for meaning and purpose, the things you love more than anything else in life, you've got to be willing to let those go. And I'm sure it's not like, yeah, well, my wife's an unbeliever, so I left her. That's actually not what this is saying. In fact, <laughs> Jesus says later, that's not the way we handle this. Right. So we've got to narrow in on what he's talking about here. But it's so interesting because he is actually really strong on this issue. Maybe some of you know the other gospel accounts, Matthew 8, where he says, let me bury my father. Right, I'm going to follow you, but let me first bury my father. And, or, or in Luke 9, he says, uh, actually, let me say goodbye to those at my home. And, and Jesus, Jesus responds by saying, let the dead bury their own dead, and no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is like, this is, this is unexpected even to us now, right? This doesn't sit well with us. If we really read it, and we really think about what he's saying. Like, if you came to me and said, hey, Eric, you know, I definitely want to be a part of what's going on here, but I have to go bury my dad first. And I said, actually, just let the dead bury the dead. Right. <laughs> You'd be like, what a jerk. 
was Jesus a jerk? <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, I think the right answer is no. <laughs> but, but are we really absorbing the things that he's saying and going, man, his call is radical. Man, his call is not, it's not convenient. It's not tidy. And how can he possibly make that statement? How can he say that? It's because he's like, look, I understand what's in your heart about that thing, but it's going to hold you back. It's not saying you can't bury someone or you can't say something to your, he's going, actually, I'm re, this is the, the Bible says he knew the hearts of men and he's looking into his heart and he's going, actually, what you're saying right now doesn't have anything to do with, it's an excuse. It's sentimental and it's actually designed to stand in the way of you following me. You say you want to follow me. And this is what I think happens. Some of us have said, I want to follow Jesus. And then we say, Jesus, you go on up ahead. I'll catch up with you in a little bit. This doesn't work that way. Because then what happens? We lose him, don't we? We do. We lose him. We go, what? I don't even remember. I, I know at one point I said I would follow him. And sometimes it's the things that other people do to distract us. I'm not making excuses, but we know there's so many distractions in the world and other relationships like he points to here in Matthew 8 and Luke 9 that can stand in the way. But don't let them. Don't let them. Leave your nets. Leave those things that are dear to you and follow him. That's what he's calling us to. Because until we do, we will constantly wrestle and struggle with allegiance to idols and people and jobs and all of these different things. These are radical words that he is saying. Can we hear them? Like, can we actually hear them? That same commentator, Daniel Aiken, says, the call to follow Jesus is clear and it is unconditional. In essence, he puts before us a blank contract and says, sign at the bottom and I will fill in the details. Can you imagine that? Man, if I just, you know, slid this piece of paper across to you and said, just sign it. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to put in there later. Right. What's amazing is that the free gift of God's grace for salvation is free, but it will cost you everything. Right? I mean, this is perplexing because it actually requires giving our own very lives to him. And there is no better place for them to be. But we, we sort of entrust them. We sort of give. We sort of follow. We say, go ahead and I'll catch up with you in a little bit. And he's going, no, no, no. Once you go in all the way, once you completely let go of everything your heart wants to grab onto, that is when you will know exactly who I am and how glorious this life of following me is. Oh, I have struggled with this. I have struggled. I have wanted to hold things back. When Jesus says, all right, I'm calling you into this now. And I go, that's not the contract I signed. And he says, actually it is. I just wrote that piece into it. Just now I wrote it in. <laughs> You're like, that's not fair. He's like, it, but it's good. It may not be fair, but it's so good. Because when you are willing to let go, when you are willing to relent in that fight for the things you think you deserve or want, when you finally let go, that's when you have true freedom. Yeah. Oh, and freedom is what we get into in just a little bit here. But I think we have to be honest about the things that are holding us back. Just like those two disciples in Matthew 8 and Luke 9. Well, let me, I'm going to follow you. Just hold on. I got to, I read this quote the other day that was so sobering to me. And it had to do with the fact that, you know, in the last 
25 years, 40 million people have left the church in America. I don't know if you've seen the charts. They're pretty sobering. Why is that? So we wrote this article called The Misunderstood Reasons Million, Millions of Americans Stop Going to Church. A guy named Jake Medor, and he says this, contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, and common life. Rather, it's designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success, leave your nets. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life. Or, as one ages, here's the family piece, the professional prospects of one's children. Workism reigns in America. And because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that just doesn't add up. We have to be honest about that. We have to be honest that that is the culture in which we live. That's the water in which we swim. And it will absolutely want to influence us all the time. Which is why it's so important for us to be immersed in the words of Jesus Christ. To be constantly looking to him. It's why we need to fast and pray. Because we have to do a huge about face from what it is that the world is constantly preaching at us, what the culture is constantly wooing us into. No, 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 you've got to achieve. You need to look out for you. Make sure your kids are all set. That's, this is it right here. Job, family, one of the biggest excuses we can use to stand in between us and the call of God upon your life. That is where we find true freedom. Let's keep going. Mark chapter one, verse 21 says, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And they were astonished at his teaching. This is what I was talking about. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes are the guys who would scribe the Bible, right? They're the ones who knew it by heart and would write it down. So they knew it, but man, it's very different to know somebody. It's another thing to be that person. Right. He was the word. They're like, geez, how does this guy know so much about this thing? It's because he is it. Yeah. It's one thing for somebody to tell you about me, but if you want to, actually, that's not the way I see that. Or, or it's just the very power of the words that he spoke, knowing intimately who he himself and the Father is. They were like, whoa, what is going on? And immediately, in the midst of this authority, it says, there was a, in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't that interesting? Most people struggle to understand who Jesus was, especially at the beginning. The demon knew exactly who he was. It is actually no great feat to know who Jesus is. The feat is in following him is in bowing to him. This is what the demons did not do. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. What's interesting to me about that is verse 27. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits. They had a grid for unclean spirits. Like we typically don't. 
We sort of cut a wide swath around that. Why they'd be any different in the ancient world than now, no real justification for. There were demons in Jesus' day and part of a primary and initial part. You know, how they, you know how they look at a president and they say like, how were the first hundred days of his administration? This is the first hundred days of Jesus' administration. And one of the things he goes right after is demons. Why? Not because he's obsessed with demons, because it's emblematic of what he came to do, which is reverse the curse of sin and death and also to bring freedom to the captives because that is what we all are. That is what we are when we do not encounter Jesus. We are stuck in the bondage of sin and wickedness. That's what he knows. And he's like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I came here to do. And they're like, wow, he's got authority over unclean spirits. And I'm thinking, man, how do you think about unclean spirits? Like, (laughs) we don't really. We think about healing. I'll get into that in just a moment. Okay, so here it is. The first thing Jesus does is recruitment. Um, which might be expected, but you would think he would, you know, gather other resources, weapons, money, you know, uh, land, whatever it is. But then he goes to preach. So that's one of his primary, so he, he, he gathers disciples. That's one of the things he does. He preaches powerfully, casts out a demon. He confronts the kingdom of darkness, goes about setting people free. And his reign is about gaining power, but not that kind of power. He already has all the power but he wants to wield the power against the kingdom of darkness in the ways that we see him casting out demons. And that's what, that's, that's what Jesus is here to do holistically. That's what he will not relent from. The kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom for those who can't help him or benefit him. He doesn't go after the elite. Can you imagine this random guy? Like he, he will see soon, he goes after the sick. Like, you don't go after the sick. You don't, you don't go and serve the people who can't serve you, who can't give anything back. You don't go after the crazy people. I'm sure they thought, well, we're gonna get into the madman of Gennesaret, the madman of Gadara. He was a crazy man, and Jesus went to him. That's who Jesus went to. We are so inclined to gravitate toward the people who can do something for us, and Jesus didn't do that. That was unexpected. And we really don't have a grid for this demon thing. And I'm, I am not obsessed with demons, but we seem to get it like either, either we don't talk about it, like, I don't know. Imagine if you're like at a party or something and you find out somebody else is a Christian and, 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 and they're like, oh, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to Monument. What church do you go to? I go to such and such. Do you guys cast out demons? <laughs> That's a primary ministry of Jesus all through the book of Mark. And that guy would be like, we sure do not. What are you talking about? (laughs) Right? Like if that was, now I'm not saying that's the only most important question, but if you ask that question, it probably given the ministry of Jesus should be like, you know, we actually do. Here's how we do it. I'm so curious to learn how. What if somebody asked you that about your church, Monument Church? I don't know how we would answer that. I want to talk a little bit more about that but I think we become either cut a wide swath or become obsessed with it. Because you could ask somebody that question, they go, we sure do, and we bite the heads off chickens and set stuff on fire. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that either. Like we just can't, we just can't find Jesus in it. And it just seems to me that actually if we're gonna make good on following him, we follow him into this. 
as well. I actually have this little picture. Celeste and I, as we were celebrating yesterday, um, we saw this cute little church on Solomon's Island. Honestly, if it could fit 20 people, I'd be surprised. Sometimes I'm like, where was your vision? But it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Actually, 75% of the churches in this country are 75 people or less. Isn't that awesome? Like, it's not about big mega churches, but this is really small. Now, I don't know if you can see this little sign over here, but give us the next photo. I think you can see it. It's, look at this. It says, Sunday, 8.15 a.m., healing service. Oh, wow. That's awesome. This little church on Solomon's Island, but I wonder if it said, Sunday, 8.15, 8 a.m., demonic deliverance service. <laughs> it's not charming. It's not quaint. You, now you think it's a Halloween thing. You're not even... But it, it could just as likely say that. Because before he heals anybody, he casts out a demon. Now again, I don't want us to become obsessed with this. I don't think Jesus was. This was merely emblematic of the kingdom that was advancing. But we can't shrink back from it. We can't shy away from it. It's interesting, actually. Um, there's a story about an island in the Caribbean called Redonda. And, and actually, this island was overtaken by humans, and they actually brought with them rats and feral goats, and then they left, and the whole island was stripped of its vegetation and fruit, and so this environmental group came in, and they killed all of the rats and transported the feral goats. And they actually had to stay on the island. There were 6,000 rats in a mile-long island. Can you believe that? And at night, they would hear them running around like the campsite. I know. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. <laughs> but they wiped them out. And, and just by getting rid of the rats and the feral goats who were eating all the vegetation, everything started to grow back. All the species that had disappeared had come back. And you see that actually, this is why the ministry of ridding people of evil actually has the natural effect of regrowing and rebearing the fruit that God intended for us. Isn't that an amazing picture? You know, given the number of people in this room... It is possible that some of you are contending with demonic spirits. I've heard it said that a believer can't be possessed by the devil. There's a lot to understand about this that I don't want to get into. There's more opportunities in the book of Mark. But I will say this, some of us know we're contending with things that are not natural. And I, don't, I just don't want to shy away from that. I don't want to be fixated about it, but we don't actually talk about it much. Well, here it is. We have no choice. We have to get into it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree, Haitian. Like, it's something to celebrate because this is what he's called us into. This is the freedom that we can offer when we take the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and we apply it into the lives of people and their situations. All right, I'm going to quickly keep going here. Verse 29, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. This is like just a part of the deal. And the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? They knew exactly who he was. Even though people struggled to understand that, they were getting to know. The commentator says, men may be confused with the identity of Jesus, but never so with the demons. They knew him and they feared him. Yeah. What a contrast with the foolish 
fallen and unbelieving humans. It's important for us to understand our greatest threat, I'm going to prove this in a moment, our greatest threat is misunderstanding Jesus. It's not not knowing him, it's actually thinking he's somebody that he isn't. Genesis 3, all the way to the back, back to the beginning of all this stuff, what happened? Where the devil came in and interacted with human beings for what we understand is the first time. What did he say? Did God really say? He wanted to create misunderstanding about who God was and what he was saying. And that's what the demons want to do here. And so Jesus is like, you will not speak because you're just going to confuse everybody. And that's their aim. They want to confuse us and so much of the current culture, which is influenced by darkness and demonic, I, I really have just seen that it confuses us. It wants us to confuse us about who Jesus is. Did God really say? Is he really who he says he is? Is he going about it like that? Isn't he really like this? Shouldn't you think about it like that? All these questions that want to chip away, we have to stay in the word of God and have a pure understanding. Protecting the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of our primary aims as a church. We want it to be the unfettered truth because it's the truth that sets us free. And they were like, we can keep you in bondage if we give you a little truth and a little bit of a lie. It's even more confusing and more binding than just the pure and unadulterated truth of Jesus Christ. Let's be committed to that. Let's not settle for anything less. Even when it threatens our own idols and our own mindsets, let's be committed to that. I'm gonna read the last portion of this passage. Rising early in the morning. Man, the thing that's awesome about Jesus, he worked hard. I don't know if you saw before, it says they were, that they were at sundown. They were bringing all these people. Then he rises early in the morning while it was still dark. So after the sun set and before the sun rises, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Again, demons. This was a mark of his ministry that can't be denied. But the thing that's cool is he's, they're like, everybody's looking for you. Like, won't you please meet their expectations? Everybody wants you to be here now. And he's like, that's actually why I'm leaving. He just does what he wants to do that is according to what his father in heaven is directing him. He doesn't pander to it. said his fame spread throughout all the town. He didn't care. He did not care about that at all. He said, I have a job to do. So he said, nope, that's where we're going to go on. All right, next. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I will. Can you imagine the desperation of a person who is irreversibly on their way to death and deteriorating day by day. And he looked at him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Even though he was turning the establishment upside down, he actually was still respectful and regarding what was already in place. He was going to do it from within. Such an interesting part of the ministry of Jesus. But he also said, don't tell anybody. And then it says, but he went out 
and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Isn't that amazing? They found him no matter what because when you're desperate enough for the truth and for the power that he offers that is better than anything else in this world, you will find him. Are you seeking diligently? Has he called you to follow him? Because if he has, oh, there's no better call upon your life. If the richest, most influential, powerful person in the world called you, it wouldn't even hold a candle to Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and saying, follow me, follow me. I think there are people in here this morning that actually have said, hey, go on up ahead, Jesus, and I'll catch up with you and have lost him. We're in a safe space. We want, we want to call you to repent and believe. Everything he said to you in the first place, it was absolutely true. And now the road he has for you is more glorious than you can imagine, but you must follow him. Or maybe you've never made that choice and he's saying, come and follow me. Oh, you're, you're, you're in for the ride of your life and it will absolutely supersede everything else that you desire or go after. I love it because it says he saw them. In that first few verses that I read, he saw them. You know, he sees you. So many of you feel unseen. He sees you. He sees you. He wants to bring to you an understanding of who you are that you actually don't even have. He sees you. He sees each and every one of you. Like Nico, he sees you. Like he sees you. Right now, he sees you. Brian, he sees you. Serena, he sees you. Like he sees you. What does he see when he looks at you? Aren't you interested? He wants to tell you what he sees. He sees you. He wants to set us free. He wants to heal us. He preached. He cast out demons. He healed. And he brought people to him. These are the things we see at the beginning of his ministry. And I want to just say a word as we kind of come to a close. I'll invite the band up. <coughs> About casting out demons. Mm, I am not the expert in this. And honestly, my wife and I have seen the wackiest stuff you'll ever imagine. Maybe you have too. And that's why you're like, yeah, so I want nothing to do with that anymore. I get it. But you know, I start to translate the ministry of Jesus, right? I mean, the ministry of Jesus was cataclysmic, wasn't it? It was epic. People, you know, dead people coming back to life and walking out of the tomb. And, and I mean, it was, it was unbelievable, what was going on. And then, of course, we see here that when the demon comes out, like they were convulsing on the floor. You know what's interesting to me is you can't fake healing, right? Like you can't. Either you're sick and then you get healed or you just stay sick. You can kind of fake this demon business. And I think we've seen a bit of it here and there, haven't we? You can fake the convulsing and the eyes rolling back in the head. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I don't know. But I think we've made a bit of a circus of it. And I think that's exactly what the devil would have, what the demons would have. Ooh, let's make it a spooky, silly circus. No, actually, we're just going to rid God's people of any influence of demons. We are going to go into all the world. You know, at the end of Mark, in chapter Mark 16, where it says, go into all the world, actually, in this one, it says, and these signs shall accompany casting out demons. So it says in Mark 16, we'll get to it. We'll get to other parts about this, and I don't want to fixate on it, 
But the people I've seen most successful at casting out demons do this just like we pray for healing. Right. Somebody comes down and we just, we pray for, what is it that's ailing you? I don't even know. The doctors don't know. Okay, well, that's fine. He does. But we see in the ministry of Jesus, he recognizes the presence of demons. Sometimes it's easy. They're screaming at him. But he recognizes, wait a second, something's not right here. He identifies them, right? He will engage them. And who, who am I dealing with here? So these are just template kinds of things that we can explore with his help and under his authority. Because he wants to set people free as a part of not only a witness to the watching world, but also as he establishes his kingdom. Let's not just shrink back or cut a wide swath. Let's be careful and cautious not to misrepresent who he is. That is one of the most dangerous things that we can do. But actually, I think if somebody asks you at a party, <laughs> do you guys cast out demons? You could go, it's an interesting question. We've been talking a little bit about that. We want to. We want to actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus and carry out his ministry as he's commissioned us. That's what we want. So demons and, and healing in our ministry, just, we just want to keep, keep in the ministry of Jesus. It looks different, actually. But we still recognize, identify, and call upon the authority of Jesus to cast these things out. Some friends of ours do ministry in Indonesia. In third world countries, you see this happening a little bit more plainly. I feel like they hide in different ways in our culture. But they're no less castable. <laughs> Jesus is no less powerful. And he is commissioning all of us because he has said, now you go. And what does this look like? Let's give ourselves to this. I've read the books and I've taken the classes. Not a lot of it has helped me to be totally honest with you. But I want to simplify it down to recognizing, identifying, and taking authority over these things. Because that's what he's demonstrated, and that's what he's called us into. We're actually have a time of prayer where we do pray for healing, because it's a ministry of Jesus. We've proclaimed the gospel. We're actually going to just trust that if there are evil spirits that are in our midst, that are, that are harassing and meddling with people that we're just going to tell them to go in, this, in, in the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's who he is.